grateful that you are here. And if you're a person who is married or knows someone that's married or is thinking about getting married, I hope you'll give special attention to what we're going to say tonight. And I hope you'll open your New Testament to the 19th chapter of Matthew. Since 1973, 43 million babies unborn have been murdered. In America today, over 50% of all new marriages are ending in divorce. 27% of our young people only have one parent. Some of these young people are locked in a home until one or both of the parents get home from work. It isn't a good picture in many places in our homes. What troubles me is, having done a lot of counseling in recent years of married couples, many of our own Christian brothers and sisters do not have the love life in their Christian marriage that God intended. And I want us to concentrate tonight on God's three laws of marriage, and maybe in this study will help you and your spouse to have a deeper appreciation. Several years ago at the South Haven Church of Christ, we had a class called Love Life in Christian Marriage. We were using Dr. Ed Wheat's book. Uh, Dr. Wheat is not a member of the church, but he has some good advice for married couples, I think, at least in my opinion. And I thought I would have the young adults in that class, Brother Lewis, but amazingly, we had couples in there in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who really had forgotten how to be married and how God wanted them to be married. And so let's look together tonight at Jesus, our master, the one who loves us so much and the one who teaches us how to love as he talks to some people about marriage. If you look at verse 3 there, you'll notice some Pharisees came to him tempting him, saying, Matt, uh, teacher, is it uh, lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Notice how he answers that. He said, have you not read? Young people, married people, friends, brothers and sisters, visitors. If all of us would read God's marriage manual, I think it would help us. We have a book here that teaches us how to be married and how to love one another. But I'm afraid we're not reading it. Is it important that we read what he said? Let's illustrate that. Let's run over to Matthew 22 for a moment and illustrate that phrase, have you not read? Have you not read? On this occasion, he's talking to the Sadducees. You remember the difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees is set forth plainly in Acts 23.8, where we're told that the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, but the others didn't, so they were sad, you see. Verse 23, Matthew 22. Don't laugh, Skippy, I'll get better. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. The Leveret law, interestingly, so that the family would not lose the inheritance. Now there were with us seven brothers, and the first, when he had married a wife, died, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. I like what Brother Kaufman says in his commentary about these people. He said, if I were the fourth or fifth or sixth husband, I believe I'd be checking for the ground glass in the cereal. Here's a woman that killed off seven husbands. Now, the Sadducees think they have an argument. I've had people tell me stories sometimes, and they'll say, the first man said, the second man said, the third man said. They could have told me the same story with the first man. But they build up the story, and they think they have an argument. They don't have one. 
But the Bible says, and last of all, the woman died also. Sisters, don't marry seven men. You're going to die. You know what that says? You're going to die also. These people, are, are, you, are you all here tonight? There you go. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said, you made two mistakes. You do err not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, watch this now, have ye not read? Had these Sadducees read the Old Testament scriptures, they would have known there was a resurrection. For that which is spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of J Isaac and the God of Jacob. When God said that in the text in which it's recorded for us, Abraham's body and Isaac's body and Jacob's body had been missing and dead for a thousand years. But they're still living because God is not the God of the dead but of the living. If they had just read that sentence in the Old Testament, I am Abraham's God, they would have known there was a resurrection. God didn't say I was Abraham's God, indicating that Abraham was annihilated. He didn't say I was Isaac's God or I was Jacob's God. He didn't say I will be, indicating some resurrection from annihilation. He said I am Abraham's God. Now if they had read that, they wouldn't have made the mistake they made. So they made the mistake of not reading the scriptures. I'm afraid that's what happens to our homes. We don't read what God has in mind for us. Let's go back to Matthew 19 now and look at that answer. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He said, have you not read? Watch his answer. That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. That's the answer. One male one female for life. If my wife ever ceases to be a female, I will have a right to remarry. And there is a day when she might cease to be a female and become as the angels of God in heaven. According to Matthew 22 that we just read, when my wife dies, I no longer have a living female. And so I am free to remarry, Romans 7, 1 through 3. I have lost my female, but as long as my female is living, she's my wife. There's only one other exception to that rule. It's found in verse 9 here. And it's the only other exception that God ever gave. Because at the beginning, he made them male and female, one of each. Do you suppose there was ever a time when Adam said to Eve, am I the only one? Hmm? Can you imagine that? Why does that happen today? Because we forget God's three laws of marriage. We forget what it is God wants us to have. He made a male and a... Did you notice he didn't make a male and a male? He didn't make a female and a female. He made a male and a female. And young people, don't ever forget that. When you say, I do, that's it. Well, what if he doesn't get along with me? Then you're going to have to learn to get along with him. You're going to have to work at it. And marriage is hard work. Right, Barry? How long have you been married now? Ten years? Oh, I was talking to that Barry back there. How long have you been married, Barry? Twenty years. Dorothy says we've been married 29 wonderful years, and 29 out of 45 is not too bad. How long have you been married? I've been married longer than I wasn't married. 
to the same girl. Isn't that amazing? 45 years. Some folks don't stay married 45 minutes. Let's look at God's three laws of marriage. Very important. He said he made a male and a female and said, number one, that the male and the female must leave father and mother. Young people, listen. God doesn't want babies married. That's so important in today's society, I can't emphasize it enough. God says that when you get married, you must be ready to leave father and mother. Brother Moshe, that's confusing. I thought God taught me to honor my father and mother. He did. Let's go over to Mark 7 for a moment and notice that's exactly what he taught. Honor your father and your mother. In fact, in this passage, we have a record of his chastising the people for not doing that. Here we were told, verse 10 of Mark 7, For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. And whoso cursed his father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is korban, Aramaic word for gift, and he tells us that right here. That is to say a gift. What a strange tradition that was. Ugly tradition. Horrible tradition. These young people who had parents who were in need, elderly parents, needed care, would tell their parents when the time came to take care of them that whatever could be profited for you, I gave that as a gift to the temple. And so I don't have any money, Mom and Dad, to take care of you. And so after Mom and Dad died from lack of care, the priest would take his cut from the korban and give the rest of the money back to the young people. What does it mean to honor my father and mother? It means to take care of them when they have need. That's my job as a man who has an 88-year-old mother. It's my time now to take care of her. She took care of me when I was young, couldn't take care of myself. Now it's my time. That's how I honor her. I take care of her. And most of us who are Christians understand that. But I honored my mother and father but I still have to leave them when I get married. I still have to start a new home. Young man, if you're not ready to start a new home and take the lead and be her protector and her provider and be her financial provider and her emotional provider and her spiritual provider, you're not ready to take her to wife. And young lady, if you're not ready to leave home and leave mommy and daddy, you're not ready to be married either. Would you know what the number one reason is we don't get some men as, as students at the Memphis School preaching? The wives will not leave home. But God said that's the first law when you get married. You have to be ready to leave mom and dad. I remember when my children left to go to college and they would call home. And when they'd get done with the phone call, I'd say to Dorothy, how much did they want? But when they got married and started calling home, I never asked that question because they're on their own now. Now, I'll help them when there's really a need. But I tell you what, when they got married, they were supposed to leave me. They were supposed to be ready to take over that home and to be the leader in that home. Brothers and sisters, sociologists are telling us today that our children are still in their adolescence in their 20s. We have a phenomenon in this country now of young people going to college and then coming back home, staying with their parents until they're 30. And so we know that when teenagers get married in this country, they've got a problem. They are still babies. Sociologically speaking, they are still babies. Emotionally speaking, they're still babies. Years ago, 40 or 50 years ago, when teenagers got married, 
That wasn't a problem. They were more mature then. But today they're not. And we know now that when a boy is about 25 to 27 and a girl is around 23 to 25, they do better when they get married. Why? They're adults. And they're closing in on adulthood and they know how to take care of themselves. Young man and his girlfriend walked in my office one day at South Haven. He was 16 years old and she was 19. And they were madly in lust. They didn't know what love was. That's something you have to learn, young people, and I wish I had time to preach on that tonight. But they were just wild about each other, they thought. And they said, Brother Mosier, we want you to do our wedding. Doing weddings is my second most favorite thing in the world. My first favorite is running over hot coals in my bare feet. Anyway, <laughs> we want you to do our wedding. So I talked to them a little while, and I said to him, leave father and mother, remember? I said, young man, where do you work? He said, I don't work, Brother Moser. I'm still going to high school. Well, somebody in that family's got to work. So I asked her where she worked, and she got insulted. I'm not going to go to work. I said to him, where are you going to live? Listen to his answer. He said, with mommy. I read this passage to them. I said, you're not ready. And I'm not going to do the wedding. And I learned a long time ago when you mess with the cubs, the mama bear gets upset, and so she called me. She was upset with me for not doing the wedding. I said, ma'am, that couple, if they go through with this wedding, will be divorced within a year. They don't know what love is. They don't know what work is. They don't know how to be emotionally attached to each other. They don't know anything yet. They're still babies. Well, they went ahead and got married, but I was wrong about the year. It only took about three or four months, and they were divorced. Leave father and mother. What in the world does that mean? I've got to honor them, but I've got to be ready to leave them financially, emotionally, spiritually. I've got to take the lead there. Ron Brotherton out in California, who's in family therapy, says that when you get married, put three bridges between you and your in-laws and burn down two of them. There's a young man in South Haven that every holiday he has, on Thanksgiving Day, for instance, he has to go to five different meals because they can't make an adult decision on whom, with whom they're going to eat that winter, that uh, day, that holiday. And so in order to satisfy everybody's childish whims, he's got to go eat five meals at five different houses. That's not an adult decision. My children, when on Thanksgiving, might come to our house one year, go to the other in-laws the next year, and so on. It's an adult decision. It's how you do it. Well, who should take care of the money? Whichever one of you takes care of the money correctly. In my family, Dorothy does. If I took care of it, we wouldn't have any. And I know how to make that decision because she's the one that takes care of it the best. We were ready to leave father and mother. When my oldest son married, he told me a story that I found fascinating. He said, Dad, the day that Cindy was to get married, that's his wife, her father, who was an elder in Dalton, Georgia at that time, stood in front of her with a dinner plate and snapped it in two and handed her half of it. He said, Cindy, you're always welcome here. But let this be symbolic of the fact that you have a new home now. She still has that half a dinner plate hanging on a wall in her house to remind her that when she got married, she had to leave father and mother. That doesn't mean you stop loving them, stop honoring them, stop, stop caring about them, but you have a new home now. Your responsibility is that new home. So the young man has to be ready to take that lead, and the young lady 
has to be ready to go with him wherever he goes. That's her challenge from God. Leave father and mother. Notice the next law. Cleave to your wife. Cleave to her. That literally means be glued to her. I used to get tickled at a young man at Gregg Avenue when I preached her. He said, boy, when I get married, I'm going to spend all day with my wife. <laughs> I'd like to talk to him now. I know some young men that are married bachelors. You ever met them? They get married, but then they go off hunting and fishing with their buddies all the time, and they never see her. They might as well be bachelors. Not paying any attention to her. And she's the one that's, uh, you know, always out shopping with the girls and never around. And after a while, they get troubled in their marriage and don't know what's happened. They forgot this law. It says, cleave to your wife. Barry, have you got your New Testament with you tonight? Would you do me a favor? Would you come up here? Oh, I'm going to put him on the spot now, aren't I? That Barry, yeah. I thought your red head hair would get their attention. Let's look at Ephesians 5 together for a moment, see if we can figure out how to cleave to one another. Ephesians chapter 5. He said cleave to one another. Barry, come up here and start reading. I'm, going to, I'm just going to interrupt you. You know how I do. Yes, sir. <laughs> Let's start in verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What did it say? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He talking to both the husband and wife there? Did a wedding at South Haven one day and we were having a rehearsal. That's my third favorite thing to do in the world, having a wedding rehearsal. And they, and they, they were practicing, the ushers came in and got the mother of the bride, started out with her and he, the husband was supposed to walk behind her and he threw a fit. I'll never walk behind my wife, I'm the head. And I thought to myself, you're also kind of silly. The Bible says, submitting yourselves to one another. Did you know that this preacher runs the vacuum sometimes? And the washing machine? And does dishes? Yes, sir, I run things in my house. <laughs> you find that strange? I can remember my father saying all the time, that's woman's work. And I can remember my mother storming off somewhere. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands Notice as unto the Lord. That. To your own husbands. There's not a woman in this room that's in submission to me. Not a one. That's not a spiritual submission, that's a sexual submission. And that's your own husband, not somebody else's. That's emotional submission. Your own husband, not somebody else's. That's what he's teaching us here. We're to cleave to one another. My number one priority next to the Lord is Dorothy, not my children. Dorothy. Her number one priority next to her, next to her Lord is me. Wait a minute. Is I. Not her children. And mom, don't you ever forget that or you'll ruin your husband. Sometimes when we have children, they become our priority instead of our mates. And that hurts the marriage. Watch what he says now. For the husband is the head of the wife. He's what? The head of the wife. Is that still in the Bible? 
What is this? I'm the spiritual leader of my life. Then I better start going to Sunday school and worship and learning my Bible and, and taking that spiritual lead because God told me to. Go ahead. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Don't you love that, sisters? Listen, if I want to go to Walmart and Dorothy wants to go to Kmart, we're going to Walmart. Because she's to be subject unto me and what? Everything. Right? Is that what it says? And I said that like a southerner. Everything. She's to be subject unto me if I... Isn't that, that's not too hard for you sisters, is it? If I want to go to Walmart, you, you want to go, we go to Walmart? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Sisters, get it. All you have to do is go to Kmart or Walmart or wherever it is I want to go. I forgot where I want to go. That's all you have to do. Did you brethren, you brothers read that? All they got to do is go to Walmart. I got to die for her. That's exactly what he said. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But you know what happens to us men? We don't understand that. Let me tell you men something tonight. They are different from us. They really are. Just before you and I were born, a wash of testosterone came down over our brains and made us male. That didn't happen to your wife. And when information comes to me as a male, you sisters hear this, when information comes to me as a male, it only comes to one side of my brain at a time. The logical side, the left side, that's where it comes. When the information comes to you, it comes to both sides at once. And the emotional side leads you. So you hear information differently from the way we hear it. Let me illustrate that. Dorothy came home one day, she said, I wrecked the car. My logical male brain went right into activity. I said, number one, are you hurt? No. Number two, is the car totaled? No. Number three, do we have insurance? Yes. Number four, is the other man hurt? No. I went back to read the newspaper. Had it settled, one, two, three, four. That's how I heard the information. Meanwhile, she's standing there like this. I'm gonna kill him. He didn't hear me. What was she saying when she said I wrecked the car? I'm alive, aren't you glad? Come and hug me. You men have to listen. They don't speak the way we do. They speak woman. You ever been behind a woman at the stop sign and there's a car coming in the next county and she waits for it? How many of you have experienced that? Yes? Do you know why though? You probably beat your horn at her. Her depth perception is different from yours, brother. It looks closer to her. That's why when you're teaching her to drive and you say, go ahead and turn. But there's a car coming. Go ahead and you know you get in the argument. She's different. She thinks differently. And sisters, we think differently. Please don't say to us, you know what you did. <laughs> We have no idea what we do. We don't know. You remember birthdays, anniversaries. You remember when what you were wearing the first time we dated. We don't remember dating. 
Help us out here. Tell us, because we're a little bit dumb in that area. But then we learn one another, and we appreciate those differences. And so we learn how to love you. I want to recommend something to you, brethren, if you're not already doing it. Date your wife. Ask her for a date. That's how you want her. Bring her some roses unexpectedly. You know what she's going to say. What did you do? <laughs> Please don't do that, sister. And I'll show you why in a minute. I'm going to pick on you in a minute. Date her. I recommend it highly. Just call her up unexpectedly from work and say, Will you go out with me, bye? Dump the children off with the grandparents. That's our job, grandparents. My grandchildren are wonderful. They're our reward for not killing ours, you know. Husbands, love your wife. Here's how it works in most houses. He gets ready to go to work and she says, what do you want for supper? I don't know, pick something. He comes home and she has something fixed and he eats it and goes in and watches television. And you know what they said to each other all day long? What do you want for supper? But when you were dating, you couldn't talk enough, could you? And you'd get home from the date, and you'd call her on the phone. And you'd talk some more. What happened to that? We forgot this verse. It's our job, brothers, to take that lead in the love area. Husbands, love your wives. Now, Barry, read the verse that says, Wives, love your husbands. That he might sanctify. Wait a minute. Don't read that one. <laughs> read the verse that says, Wives, love your husbands. Right there in Ephesians 5. Find that verse. He's not going to find it. Let's wait for you to get me out of the But the last verse is there. Read it. The last verse of the chapter? Yeah. Nevertheless. Not the last verse of the Bible. Yeah, he is so nervous. Loosen up. You're doing great. He's doing great, isn't he? Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Why? Did you sisters hear that? Husbands, do yourselves a favor. Take a look at your wife for a moment. Take a good hard look at her and see if she's got an appendage on each side of her head called an ear. Some of you aren't looking at your wife. Come on, parents. All right. Brother Haynes, has she got two ears? That's where she operates emotionally. That's where she operates intimately. Right here. You actually have to open your mouth. Now, what I recommend is you do one of these words a day for three days before you give her a heart attack. But you actually have to open your mouth and say to her out loud every day, I, practice it, need, look at the word I'm using, you. Tell her that. And show her that you do by the way I remember when I first got married, I worked eight hours a day. I'm an American male. I'm a macho male. Boy, I just, my wife knew I loved her. I worked eight hours a day, and I'd come home, and I'd get the tractor out, and I'd mow the yard, and whatever, and kept everything looking nice, and she must know I love her because I'm out there working and doing all this. She's sitting in the house thinking, he doesn't pay a bit of attention to me. That's not how you show a woman you love her. Ears. Now, wives, I want you to look at your husbands now. Come on. 
See if he's got two shoulder blades. If he does, take your right hand like this. Come on. He's sitting on the other side. Use your left hand. Come on. Get your hand out there, Chester. Now pat him right there. And you tell him every day how great he is. Come on. He is the greatest fireman. He's the greatest garbage collector. He's the greatest preacher. He's the greatest whatever. Sister, that's your job. And if you ever make him feel anything different from that, you're going to hurt your relationship with him. Because this man to whom you're married measures his life by what he does. You measure your life by where you live and the nest you're building. He's different. You ask a man what he is and he'll tell you what he's doing. Sometimes your sisters running down their husband, even in public, and they are destroying the marriage. You're the greatest whatever. I remember coming out one Sunday after I preached, and Dorothy said to me, where in the world did you get that outline? Just about destroyed me. I heard, because that's my main She's to reverence me. So sisters, if he wants to go to Walmart, go with him. You brothers take the lead in cleaving to your wife. Thank you very much. Third law. Notice what happens if you follow God's law here of leaving father and mother and cleaving to each other. He says those two become one flesh. That's the promise. Wonder what it means. When I was a little boy, I had the job of going down to our cellar for my mother if she wanted some canned goods. We didn't have a basement, we had a cellar. There was a dirt floor under the house, but there were shells down there, and she kept her canned goods on it because it was cooler there. But it was dark, and there were cobwebs, and I hated that job. But she sent me down there one day to get some preserves. And I grabbed a jar off the shelf and ran back upstairs and tried to get the cobwebs off my face. The jar I got had rusted shut. It had been on the shelf so long. She finally worked the lid off of it, never have known how you sisters can do that, but you can get those lids. And when she opened it, it had been on the shelf so long that it had turned completely to sugar. If you do it right, brothers and sisters, emotionally and spiritually and financially, and husbands, you love them the way God taught you to love them, and you wives reverence that husband, the longer you stay together, the sweeter it gets. That's the promise. But you have to start out being a Christian. Maybe there's a husband here tonight that's not a Christian. Christian is a person who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who repents of his sins, that is, makes a decision to live for God, who confesses the name of Christ before witnesses, and who is immersed in water for the remission of his sins. That's a Christian. Maybe there's a mom to the, here tonight who's not a Christian. You've heard what a Christian is. That's a person who does what God tells him to do. And when two Christians are joined together, they have a head start on what God wants them to be. 
They have a commitment not only to each other, but to the Lord. And so when there are problems in the marriage, which is another sermon in itself, they learn how to work together to please the Lord and then please each other. And the longer they stay together, the sweeter it gets. Somebody in your family tonight may be praying, young person, that you become a Christian. Whatever your need, please make it known while we stand, while we sing.